was excited. I'm pretty excited. And one thing I'm excited about is I think the Lord gave me a word uh, as we were worshiping. And thank you, worship team, for uh, doing that. Uh, I just want to give you a heads up. I remember, shoot, longer than some of you were alive. I don't know how many years ago it was now, 35 years ago or something. Uh, I'd never seen a miracle. I believed in God. I'd witnessed the miracle of lives being transformed. I'd witnessed my life being transformed. But I'd never seen a miracle like someone physically healed or anything like that. And I knew it was in the Bible, and I believed the Bible, but I just had never seen one. And I go to this church service, and uh, somebody, I don't even know who it was now, but somebody was speaking, and they were talking about healing, physical healing. And I was intrigued. And I was like, yeah, that happened in 2,000 years ago. It doesn't happen now. And uh, then they uh, described some physical thing that you could see. And they said, uh, uh, I think God wants to heal you. And is, is that person that I'm describing, they were describing someone. They said, that person in the room. And somebody stood up. And they said, I'm, that's me. And there's a guy. And he's like, it's me, it's me. And they're like, uh, well, come up here up front. I believe God wants to heal you. And so he, he went up front, and the person who was preaching was going to pray for him. And uh, I think he sat down. I don't remember. He was on the stage, and then he said this crazy thing. He says, is there anybody in here that is skeptical? <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> of course, I didn't raise my head. <laughs> I was like, yeah, whatever. It's going to be emotionalism. It's going to be something. But whatever the person had, you could physically see it. And so I was like, I'm skeptical. And I was just crazy enough. He said, well, if you don't believe, if you're skeptical, if you're just skeptical, it doesn't mean you don't believe. It just means you're skeptical. He said, if you're skeptical, come up here and watch. I'm like, okay. So I got up out of the back of the church and I walked down the side aisle. And, I, and there's like, you know, probably 500 people there. And I walked up and I walked up on stage. And I, this is what I did because this is just my natural how I do I what didn't mean anything by it I walked up and the guy's there and I went like this and I'm watching because I want to know if I'm being tricked and I watched and he got healed and I went hmm and I turned around went back and sat down and I was like listen I've got a I've got a word from the Lord this morning I believe some of the things that's happening in our lives right now we're skeptical and I believe we all are in that journey at some place. But I believe that this morning, if you're skeptical, if you're questioning, if you're just, you just don't know, you've never seen it, you've never experienced it, I believe today that God wants to speak to you. Like, I, I really do. And so uh, he's looking for people who, like me, I was that day 35 years ago, I'd never seen it, so how could I not be skeptical? And I believe that today is your day, and at the end of the service, I'm going to do something. Uh, I believe the Lord knows what's inside of every one of us, the deepest, deepest, deepest inside. And I believe He sees something in us that's good, and I believe He'll call it out. He'll call it out of you. And uh, last week, it was, wasn't what uh, happened when, you know, the worship team and Daniel and Harvey ministered last week. I was in, uh, oh, I'll give that report. 
but uh, I was in uh, South Carolina uh, at a conference promoting the book, What's Wrong With Me? And uh, the reason I'm doing, the reason I even wrote that book, the reason I went to that conference is to bring people hope. Like, uh, I really believe that Jesus is the hope of the world. There's hope. Like, in our world, in the, my world, the, the emotional, psychological, mental health world, there's not much hope out there. I'm going to tell you, God can heal you. God will heal you. He'll set you free. He'll break your addictions. He'll break those voices in your head. He'll set you free from the things that are putting you into that labeled category. And so I, I wrote that book with that purpose, just giving people hope. Everybody in our world is being affected by mental health disorders. Either you are or somebody you love desperately is. And listen, the psychological world, the medical world doesn't give you any hope. They give you coping mechanisms. They don't give you hope. And my only purpose for writing the, that book, What's Wrong With Me, and of going to this conference last weekend, and, I, and y'all, I appreciate y'all's prayers, your support. Uh, I went there, and it looked like a total bust. Like, I think they were expecting a 1,000 people. Yeah, Chris went with me. And uh, we never got discouraged, did we? <laughs> we went with one. Yeah, it was exciting, even though there was only... Uh, about 40 attenders, I think. <laughs> I think there was 50 people that had booths set up trying to sell their stuff, including us. And uh, I gave away most of ours. Chris would sell it. I'd give it away. That's all that happened. I, you don't hire me if you want to make money at something because I'll just give it away. Sorry. Uh, and so I went there with one purpose. It didn't really disappoint me when we showed up and there was like 40 people. Uh, most of the time when someone was speaking, there was 20 people listening, sometimes 12. And that's, you know, that's like take this and divide it in a third, and it was like that many people. But I was like, you know what, God, I'm here to give hope. I don't care if it's the 1,000 or one. And so me and Chris just worked as if there was a 1,000 people there. He talked to people nonstop. I sort of hid in the back most of the time. And uh, it was good, and then Sunday morning came, and that's when I was supposed to speak to the, to the crowd of people, and uh, I did, I spoke, and uh, then after I spoke, uh, two people, and Chris talked a lot more, but two people came up and asked if they could be set free from what, they were, what was killing them, and a, a man and a woman, they weren't together, they didn't know each other, but... So uh, the woman, I got to talk to her, and I, she was a lover of Jesus, but she was in a hard place, and Jesus showed up and healed her. And then uh, I got to talk to the man, and uh, he was in a really hard place. Uh, they both had been impacted by suicide, which was sort of interesting. I didn't tell you that, Chris, but it's both of them, suicide. Suicide's a huge thing, and uh, God healed them both. And so that made it worth my trip. <laughs> I was like, yes. But then the thing we did is we brought hope. Uh, so much, so much. These were all mostly extremely right-wing, conservative, political, evangelical Christians, you know. And uh, they believe that the world's getting bad and worse and worse and worse and worse. And God's this whole scenario that's one interpretation of the end times they believe that and so they don't see a lot of hope for their future and their children and uh i do so i did and uh she pinched ty she wanted to get out and i saw what she did she pinched that baby nicole you can leave you won't hurt my feelings 
You're invited to grace. So what did, so that's what happened with us last week. Chris and I went down there and it was good. And two people got healed. So that was made it worth my trip. Uh, that, and we gave, we brought hope to a bunch of people who didn't have much hope. Good people that love God just don't have much hope. And uh, now, last week when y'all were here, what Daniel did and Harvey, they spoke and the worship he did. And then Daniel called people up front. I think uh, Jimmy, Josh. Oh, yeah. Isn't that funny? And Marsha, yeah. And uh, I got to listen to it. Me and Chris listened to it Sunday night in the wee hours of the morning as we're driving home, uh, watching on YouTube. And uh, it was powerful, it was life changing. Uh, it was amazing what he did. And I believe that it's a, you know, what did he do? Y'all were here, those of you that were here, you were here, you saw, he had them come forward, and then he looked at you, and of course Jimmy cried like a baby, but everybody else held it together pretty good. Josh had tears, but I'm not sure what it was. Uh, you know, it was amazing. Marsha, did you cry? You don't have to admit it. You're, she's She's looking at Dye. She didn't even hear me say her name. Um, that's how grandparents are. It was amazing because you know what? What did he do? What did Daniel really do? What he did was we're inviting people into community. Like next weekend, next Saturday, a bunch of you, a bunch of us are going to the Cabot Fest. And we're going to invite the people to the picnic and to become a part of our family. And not just our family, but our family. And it's a huge life is found there. And whenever you invite somebody into your family, you're telling them they matter. You're telling them you care about them. You're telling them you see them. You're in, when you invite them here, you're inviting them into a place where they can be healed and set free and become, have purpose and destiny in their lives. And it's a huge thing. And... Uh, Today, I mean, I remember when I was 23 years old, right about 24, and I'd come to the end of my rope. As I was single, I had done everything I knew to do to fill that thing in my heart and to become happy and to have purpose, to be good. And I'd come to the end of my rope. I had done everything I knew to do. I'd done everything I could in sports. I'd done everything I could in business. I'd done everything I could in myself. And I was hanging by a thread and not happy. And there was this, this older man who was probably 45 <laughs> to me, Brother Bill Hilburn. He was a pastor at the First Baptist Church in Ward. And uh, he... Uh, at that time, I thought he didn't have any sense at all. He was re he was uh, he had been a farmer, like a big farmer in you know the Mississippi Delta in Arkansas, and he gave his life to God and he wanted to be a pastor. And he comes to Ward, and uh, he was crazy enough to get me to get into my world. Like I was running a business in Ward, and he would come by my business and talk to me, and uh, then he would like. He just, you know, I like farming. I like outdoors. We had stuff in common. I, I liked him. And he would talk to me and visit with me. He'd just stop by. 
and the weeks and months would pass. And then he would like, uh, hey, what are you doing tonight? And, you know, I was single. I was either messing up or causing problems or I was doing something every night. But then the nights I wasn't doing anything, I, I, my worst enemy was boredom. You know what I mean? We didn't, have, we didn't have those phones that you could be on 24 hours a day and seven days a week and watch TV all the time. I would be bored and I'd like, well, what are you doing? He said, oh, I'm going out into, into the town and I'm knocking on doors and telling people about Jesus. And I was like, okay, sounds good to me. And so I'd go with him. And, uh, of course, I didn't say anything. I just went with him. And this lasted for months. It's like we'd go and he'd knock on a door and he'd ask them this question. And they'd invite him in and he'd tell them about Jesus and he'd pray with them. And, you know, and that went on and on and on. And somehow in the, at the end, by the end of that process, he had invited me into his life, which was more than just his life. Somewhere in that, that thing inside of me that only Jesus can do, he began doing. And at, at the end of that story is, I'm like, oh God, you're, you're who I've been looking for. I thought being a star football player or a star basketball player, or a, I thought that would make me happy. I thought having this and this and this and this would make me happy. I thought reaching these goals and these goals and these goals. Shoot, when I was in 10th and 9th grade, my goal in life was to be a to be million dollars in debt. Because I knew that if you were a million dollars in debt, it means you had to be worth a lot for somebody, for a bank to give you a million dollars at that time. It was 1972, right? I made money. I had businesses. I wasn't happy. And I believe it was through that community. And yeah, I did. I started going to his church. He had me teaching RAs, like little boys, royal ambassadors. I just treated them like we were in the army. <laughs> you know, it's like I didn't even know. They even had me preach once, and I preached on Napoleon because I didn't know anything in the Bible. But somehow the community with him, he brought me into relationship with the one he was in a relationship with. And all that happened last week when Daniel called people up is, you know what, Brother Bill, I really thought he was foolish. Because he didn't know I had been messed up just the day before. He didn't know what I did that night after I left knocking on doors with him. He didn't know my life. And I used to think, this guy is so clueless. Maybe he wasn't clueless. Maybe he saw something in me, deep inside of me, who I really was. I wasn't selfish. I wasn't mean. I wasn't, I didn't, that's not who I was. Not really. That's who I was being. So today, as we're getting ready for this uh, Grace Family Picnic, it is. It's about community. But our job isn't to point out the bad things in people's life. You think I didn't already know the bad stuff in my life? I mean, I wasn't stupid. I knew what I was doing. I knew everything. I didn't know the, who God saw me as. I didn't know there was a life. There was real life out there. And I remember Brother Bill invited me into that. Not with words. He didn't have those words. But I thought, you know, he did that same thing Daniel did last Sunday to three of you guys 
Brother Bill did to me. Now, it, I'm a little more stubborn. It took him six months or a year. I really don't remember how long that process was. It might have been a whole year, maybe in two years. But he just kept inviting me. And when, if I wasn't going to a party or mess up or whatever, I'd go with him. Guys, we bring people into community. And Grace Fellowship is a good community. And uh, I asked Marion uh, a couple weeks ago. I didn't let her do it. But uh, Marion and Ricardo and their three children moved here from Louisville, Texas. And uh, she's my sister-in-law. I think she's been my sister-in-law since she was about 12. <laughs> she was really young when she got married to Ricardo. And uh, Marion, you want to come on up? And uh, I asked her to share uh, what community here at Grace has meant to her. Whatever you want to share, Marion, just you go for it. Hello. Oh, there we go. Okay. Now you can. Okay. So, yes, we moved here in 2011 with an interesting story. Um, I think a lot of you know it, but honestly, a lot of you may not. So, I'll, go to, I'll give you the uh, quick version. We moved. We came to visit our family Fourth of July weekend. Um, We're, we're married to brothers and sisters. Yes, Jeannie and Ricardo. Yeah. Our siblings. Yeah. Came to visit family, hadn't been here for quite a while, and thinking we'd be here for, I don't know, maybe three days for the holiday. Um, ended up staying for probably like 10 days or so. And in the process of that time, I felt like God told us we were supposed to move here, which is an interesting to ha thing to happen in the middle of July when you're a teacher, because we didn't have jobs here. Teachers have jobs when they move. So... We went back home, I started packing, the family thought I was crazy, but they also couldn't argue against it because it was coming from God, but they also kind of knew it was what we were supposed to do too. So long story short, we did end up packing up all of our things and moving here and then getting jobs as teachers at the beginning of August. Again, not what you do as a teacher because God decided he would do all this in a non-logical way which is not the way Ricardo and I function, but that's how God did it. So that's a really quick version. It is way more fun to hear the whole story. But the thing that drew me here that God used as bait, as I like to call it, was the, um, the deep, intense love that was the fruit of what God was doing here. We were in a place in Texas that, I mean, there were good people and we, we had a good life, in a way, but we were starving in here. Emotionally, spiritually, we were drowning and starving, um, heading toward falling apart um, in so many ways, even though on the outside we were successful. It was not healthy. And when we came to visit, um, we saw and felt life which was a fruit of what Jesus was doing here. And we immediately felt uh, the love and community that God was pouring out in the way he was um, manifesting in this body and in the group of people that poured into us. And it blew us away, blew me away. Um, it was weird because I was a little Southern Baptist girl coming to this different style those yeah. of you who came from a more traditional church can understand that. 
was a little awkward, but at the same time, we're refreshing awkward. So the way I compared it, um, as I was sharing the first time uh, we had this conversation, I would say, um, so I'd ask you to imagine a place that you have visited, whether it's the ocean, the Grand Canyon, or the Little Red Fishing. Think of a place that you have visited. I'm like, for a second, close your eyes and think of that place and how refreshing and how beautiful it was. And then you, when you get back from visiting that and you want to tell somebody about it and how you have such a difficult time really describing how great that place was, because you were really there and you want to describe that to somebody that wasn't there, the realness of that place, you just almost, you, you try and you show them pictures on your phone and you get as close as you can, but it's not the same as really being there and experiencing that. So you guys can connect with that, right? Yeah. And then you can have things like, like a Disney movie and those Disney animators, they have gotten so good at animating something that make it look real, like water scenes and stuff. Y'all notice how much better and better they've gotten at it but yet it's still not real. And you know it's not real, but it's so close and you're really impressed. That's the kind of thing I was experiencing with um, religion. It was close, it was so close, but something in me knew it wasn't really real. And what Jesus did for me when um, I met him here was he gave me real. Yeah, it's good. It gave me like, oh, that's what a garden tomato tastes like. Oh. So I'm really sad that we're not going to be able to be at the um, picnic. I'm like, really, I am sad. We have a, a family function that we really have to be at. So I can't be there, and I'm sad about it. But I encourage you to do that because what you're doing is you're inviting somebody to come and taste yeah. the fruit of something real so that they can like, you, oh, that's what that's like. It's a big deal. And it changed my life, my family's life, like total different tra trajectory where we are today than where we would have been today. Completely transformed our family. And I have zero regrets. Um, I mean, yes, we lost money in the move. We, all kinds of things that the world would say were not considered successful. <laughs> Success, right yeah. here. Success to know what's real. Amen. Come on, Marion. So I believe in you guys. I believe in you. I believe that when people come in contact with you, they experience the living God. And that's what we're, all we're doing, what we're doing. So this picnic's a big deal because it's a, it's a way, a place you can invite your friends and family to. And we're just going to be family. It's not real structured. It's not going to be a lot of things you have to do. It's going to be like going to a picnic where you can sit around and enjoy each other and talk and eat and eat and eat and just a real deal. And so I want to invite you to that. Now... What we're talking about, it's like there's something Jesus said in the, in the model prayer. In Matthew 9, the disciples asked Jesus, Jesus, teach us how to pray. Because they notice, especially in Luke, Luke talks about all the times that Jesus would pray. 
Luke would write it down. And Jesus walked away and he spent all night in prayer. And Jesus went early in the morning and he was in prayer. And every time Luke noticed that prayer was connected to the power of God. And so he noted that stuff. And then here in Matthew 6, and Luke also records this prayer. In Matthew 6, Jesus says this. This is how you should pray. And for Jesus, prayer wasn't close your eyes and focus and... Jesus, to Jesus, prayer was communication with a present tense father. It was real, like Marion said. I'm glad you emphasized that, Marion, because it's so real. Prayer is not real for some of us. And I, and I can tell you how to make it become real for you, because the most important thing in the world that you do is communicate with your dad and communicate with the Son, communicate with the Holy Spirit. So here's how Jesus said you should pray. First thing we do is we say this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Now, when I look at that, when I think about that, I wrote down some things that I believe are true. That basically means I'm in awe of you, God. You're above everything I see, everything I feel. You're above my past. You're above what's happening in my world right now. It's funny, the songs we sang this afternoon, this morning, they were talking about God, it's you. And the first thing Jesus does, he said, recognize who he is and examine your heart and see if you're putting other things in front of him. Like sometimes, and I was just with a bunch of people who actually put how bad our government is in front of God. Now, they wouldn't say it that way. They just live that way. No, I want to believe that no matter what I see, God is greater than that. He's greater than every obstacle. He's who I run to when I'm hurting. He's who I run to. He's the source of life. And so the first thing we do is you need to recognize that God is supreme. And we are standing in awe of Him. And ask yourself, am I letting other things get my attention and take my attention away from how wonderful He is? You know, He's already got this. You know, he, he's, he's already won the battle. And it's so easy for us to get caught up in our daily lives and in the facts of our lives and to think, especially like with if you're sick or if you're facing something in your life or if you look at history and government and all this stuff, all of a sudden all of the bad becomes bigger than the good in God. And the first thing we do in prayer is you need to recognize, God, you are, you're it. I'm not going to worry. Like we put what we worry about above what we worship. And, the, and Jesus said, no. He said, Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done. And it was a statement. God, you're, you're winning. You see, because Jesus prayed something here, right? And y'all know that every prayer Jesus prayed comes true. It is true. Look what Jesus said. Your kingdom in heaven be done on earth on earth as it is in heaven so right now God sees you and he recognizes who we are he knows our past he knows our history he knows the scars we carry in our heart and our bodies he knows all that but he also knows what's in heaven you see when God looks at us he he wants us to see ourselves the way he sees us he doesn't see the scars he doesn't see the history he doesn't see all those bad things. You know, I love that statement, as it is in heaven. You know who you really are? 
You're the you that's in heaven right now. That's who you really are. And that's what Jesus prays. And Jesus said, I pray that my Father's will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And that's how we pray. And uh, in Ephesians chapter 3, I guess we'll, let's read the whole psalm, the whole uh, prayer first. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive you. So you see, that's the question is, do you live in awe of God? Or do you live in awe of what's happening around you? That's, that's the question you have to answer. And uh, here's what Paul said in Ephesians 3.14. This is a great verse. I kneel humbly in awe before the Father, our Lord Jesus, the Messiah, the perfect Father of every father and child in heaven and on earth. Like, who do you belong to? Are you included in every child on earth? You're in every. I'm in every. Who, who is our Father? He is. And He's the perfect Father of every child. And I pray that He would unveil within you the unlimited riches of His glory and favor. You see, you know what the key is? You have to let God show you who you really are. And when you see that and you choose to believe that's true, then His power begins to operate in your life. You see, I think that happens to all of us. We have to come to a place where, you know, the world's going to tell us who we are. Your family history tells you who you are. Your DNA tells you who you are. Your psychiatrist, the doctors, the therapist, your own intellect, the accuser of the brethren, the enemy, he'll tell you who you are. And it'll never be good. It'll never be enough. But do you know what? The truth is, let God unveil within you who you really are. And when you agree with God about who you are, His supernatural strength floods your innermost being. I don't get credit for anything in my life. I get credit for agreeing with Him and believing that what He said about me is true. And when I believe that, His supernatural strength flooded my innermost being. His divine might and explosive power. You see, what releases the power of God on earth isn't telling people what they're doing wrong. It's telling them the truth of who they are. And when you tell them that and they believe it, God moves. And it's His power and His might and His strength and His glory and His everything. And then by constantly using your faith, the life of Christ will be released deep inside of you. And the resting place of His love will become the very source and root of your life. So do you know what's happening in heaven? Jesus is seated on a throne. He's ruling and reigning, right? And guess what? You know who you really are? You see, in the beginning, Jesus, God created the heavens and the earth, and God created man and Adam and Eve, and He gave humans dominion in the world. He said, you are sitting on a throne over this planet, and Adam and Eve gave it away. But how, are we, how did it start with us? What was our genesis? You were created in His image. You know who you really are? You're created in the image of the Almighty God. That's who you really are. 
But you know what happens to us? We get knocked off course. and We start believing lies. We start questioning ourselves. And the enemy starts whispering in our ears. And we begin to think we have to earn it. We have to work for it. And all of a sudden, we don't believe it and we fail. You see, you know who you really are? You're seated on a throne in heaven, ruling and reigning with Christ right now. So you know your beginning was created in God's image, given dominion over the world. The end of everything, you're seated in heaven on a throne with Christ. That's who you really are. Now, do you believe that? You see, today, the, the main thing I want to see happen this morning is all of us, every one of us, really. I wish I would and every one of you would. I want to know from the Lord who I am. Who do you say I am? Because when he tells me, there's power behind his words. You see, you need to, I just challenge you this morning. You need to hear who Jesus says you are. You need to hear from him. You know, and uh, it's funny in our world, what's really the reality? His kingdom's what's real. You see, I, uh, I love this story in Luke 10. And it's interesting, in, in God's world, things are different, right? You see what Jesus wants? He wants to be with you. In your most boring day, He wants to be with you. At work, He wants to be with you. When you're discouraged, He wants to be with you. When you're excited, He wants to be with you. His whole purpose is to be one with us. It's like your, your skin was created perfectly for His presence. And He wants to sit and listen to you. He wants to read books with you. He wants to work through problems in your head with you. He wants to be with you. And you know, in Martha and Mary, that's a perfect example of that. You know what Jesus did with women? Women was probably the lowest caste in their whole society, right? It was because in, in the Jewish world and in the Greek world, women were actually equated to livestock, and sometimes livestock was more important. Can you imagine that? That's how they saw women. But when Jesus came, what did you see? And it, I think The Chosen, that movie series that's about the New Testament, it, it portrays pretty accurately, I believe, of how Jesus related to women. Women were given places of honor. They were allowed to serve. They were part of the very core of what they were doing. And in that, in that movie, they hit that pretty good. Jesus, you know what women did in Jesus' life? They were who supported him. You know, uh, Lydia, the seller of purple. A lot of the early pastors were women. You know, you see Jesus, uh, the family that he loved to visit, even like this, I wrote it down this way because I said, that's funny. You know, uh, Lazarus' sisters, Mary and Martha, they were Lazarus' sisters. And Lazarus was like, when Jesus wanted to go somewhere just to be at home, he went to Lazarus' house. Well, you see how, and even in our society, I don't say it was Mary or Martha's house. <laughs> they were his sisters. He was the man. No, that isn't how Jesus saw it. 
He, he saw them. He loved Mary and Martha. And he went to their home. And he went there one time. And there's a lot of times. He had a lot of interactions with Mary and Martha. He went there. And on a journey, it says in verse 38 of Luke 10, they went to a village where a woman welcomed Jesus into her home. Her name was Martha. And Martha, she had a sister named Mary. And Mary, Martha obviously was the, you know, the one go-getter, the strong one. She was the vocal one in the family. So she invited them to, he, she invited Jesus and his disciples to come to their house. And Mary sat down attentively before the master, absorbing every revelation he shared. But Martha became exasperated by finishing the numerous household chores in preparation for her guests. So she interrupted Jesus. That's so funny, isn't it? Lord, don't you think it's unfair that my sister's left me to do all the work by myself? You should tell her to get up and help me. And the Lord answered her, Martha, my beloved Martha, right? Why are you upset and troubled, pulled away by all these many distractions? Are they really that important? Mary has discovered the one thing most important by choosing to sit at my feet. She's undistracted, and I won't take this privilege from her. You see, I think when you look at our world, I really see it this way. It's not what you do for God. And we're raised in a culture where what you do gives you prestige, it gives you honor, it gets you promotions. It's who you're with. It's who you're with. You see, Mary just wanted to be with Jesus. And Martha was falling prey to that trick that's, that the enemies use to destroy us over and over again. You see, you can, you can get caught up in the what? In the work? Or you can be caught up in the with? And you see, I think that's where we live today. It's not what you do, it's who you're with. And I think when we look at people, we judge by what we see. And we don't judge by who they're with. We don't judge by whose image they were created in. And we don't judge by them ruling, sitting on the throne in heaven with Jesus. That's who people really are. It's almost... Um, it's funny, then he goes on to say, when you go back to uh, the Lord's Prayer, you go back there, oops, there we go. Then he says, give us this day our daily bread. Who's the bread of heaven? Who said, this is my body, it's broken for you, take and eat my flesh? Who told us to take communion, who'd live in community? You see, Jesus told us, he said, Guys, the power to live life well comes from being with me. It doesn't come from what you do. And I think that we live in that place. And it's so funny. He used manna and he said about take, give us their daily bread. He wasn't talking about the food. That's what we thank God for our food. We eat every day. But the truth is he's the bread of life. And every day being with him is what transforms our world. It's what we're inviting people to come into. As you're walking with Jesus and you invite people to be with you, then they by, by association are going to feel the presence of God in their life. And it's really about who you're with. And he says that. He says, give us a daily bread. 
And then he says, forgive. That's an interesting term. He says, guys, you gotta, you got to forgive. And he says it in two ways, right? Forgive us our debts as we've also forgiven the people who owe us. How can you forgive yourself for what you've done wrong? How can you forgive yourself for the horror that you might have caused in the world? How can you forgive yourself for your history? How can you forgive yourself for the things you knew you should have done? The, you know, some of you are as old as I am. Uh, I missed things 50 years ago. I, how can I? I can't go back and undo that. You know, I believe that what Jesus, when he talks about forgiving our, forgiving our debts, do you know why your debts can be forgiven? Because when Jesus sees you, he sees you as you were born and as you are right now because he's already paid the price. He sees you as forgiven. He's already done it. He knows that the things that we do are because of bondage, not because we're bad. You know, that word there, forgiven, that's, that's, uh, in their world, they use that word for forgiveness of disease. How come we judge people by the diseases they have? You see, we do in the world. Now, you know, if you have, if you have the flu, you aren't the flu, right? You're not the disease. A disease is, a, is an external thing that's attacking your flesh with intent of bringing you harm. You're not the disease. You're, that's not who you are. It's not who I am. A disease is something outside of me that's trying to destroy me. And you know the way God sees sin? As a disease. He sees those things as a disease. He says, you know, the problem is the evil one. He says, God, forgive us that. Forgive our debts. Forgive us. Let us free from the bondage that was created by our living in independence. By our doing it ourselves. By trying to work our way. Martha was trying to work to produce the relationship. And Mary said, it's just him. He's done it all. You see, Jesus has already done it all. You don't work to do anything. We live by the grace of God. Every good and perfect gift comes from Him. And I think when He said, talks about forgiveness, so this like this, it's, it's very hard to explain. But when you're walking with Jesus and you're walking in the light, you're in bondage to those things. You're... you're the power of God is exploding inside of you. Paul used words trying to describe what happens. Why are you nice? Why are you kind? Why are you honest? Why are you faithful? Why are you giving? Why do you care about? Why do you not mistreat children and women and other ethnicities? Why, 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 why? It's all because of God's grace inside of you. It's... it's it's God in your flesh living out in the world, and it brings glory to God. You know what happens on the other side of that? Guess why I did those things I did? That I, I used to think that when God, what's your greatest fear is getting exposed, right? Have you ever feared that, that somebody's going to see who you really are? Like they're going to look at you, and they're going to see all of that stuff, you know, the stuff you did last night or last year, or 10 years ago. 
You see, that's what happened. I remember one of the first times I knew God spoke to people because I didn't know that. I wasn't raised in an environment where that was even a possibility. And, uh, and I just gotten married to Jeannie. And she kept using terms like God said and God's told me. And I just thought that was her culture. She'd talk like that because God didn't talk to people in my world. You read the Bible and that's that what you did. And she kept saying that stuff. And I used to think she's a freak. I didn't think that really. <laughs> I just didn't know. Well, and then I told you all the story. Uh, we'd been married just a few weeks, I think. And uh, I rode a motorcycle to college every day, 50 miles one way, got on I-40, got right back off I-40. It was just a, I did it every day. And one day I get up to go to school and it was a long day. I had an eight o'clock morning class and a night class, like a three hour night class that evening. And so I'd leave home at six in the morning and not get home till 10 at night on Monday. And, uh, which is no big deal for me as my normal life. And uh, that morning I'm driving to school and I have an accident, a motorcycle accident as I was getting off of I-40. I didn't get hurt, got back up, went to class, no big deal to me. I'd been riding motorcycles since I was 11. And that night on the way home, I have a bad accident. Like <laughs> I uh, knocked myself out, tore up my motorcycle, could have died. If I'd have slid this way instead of that way, I would have died. You know, still no big deal to me. I'm thinking, get the motorcycle fixed, hide it from my wife, because she was already didn't like me riding motorcycles. <laughs> That's my plan, right? I didn't know lying was bad unless it was bad lying. Good lying was okay. So I, you know, and I get home, finally. It took me a long time to get home because the motorcycle was like shaking as I was going. I could do like 40 miles an hour down the highway. I get home, I hide the motorcycle in the garage, and Jeannie was in bed anyway every Monday night, and I got home. I walk in the back door, and I, I was, had my head enough. I had my helmet under my arm, but I had it facing backwards where you couldn't see the front was broken. And I walk in the back door, and Jeannie's sitting at the counter, and I looked at her, and she looked like she'd been crying all day. And my little pea brain went, there's no way she knows. Because there's nobody called. There's no way. And her first words out of her mouth were, God woke me up this morning when you left and told me Satan was going to try to kill you today. What happened? And I was like, you know what my first thought was? The same as yours. We had only had three dates and got married. I wasn't a Sunday school kid. I was 24 years old. And... I hadn't told her anything about my past. She thought I was a preacher. <laughs> the guy who married us knew better. He's like, you really shouldn't marry this guy. You know, and I'm like, God, what else did you tell her? Because I thought when God took a magnifying glass and he looked in our hearts, he was going to say all the dirt. Because that's what I'd been taught. He was going to say all the bad. That isn't who God is. You know, he says, he says the truth. When he looks in your heart, he knows you. He knew me better than I knew me. I, I'd, I'd never ask. I should call Brother Bill and ask him, Brother Bill, why did you do that to me? I mean, I was rough. And you took me out witnessing? <laughs> like, usually one or two nights a week for a year? Did you see something in me? 
that I didn't know was there? Did my grandmother see something in me that I didn't know was there? You know what this world needs? Someone to call the good out of people. Someone that will stand up and say, God loves you, and this was his plan for your life. And as a matter of fact, this is who you really are right now. Not, you know, Jesus, here's, here's, this, Jesus didn't pray, God, I pray that your will be done in heaven will be done in heaven when we finally get there. That is not what he prayed. He said, God, I pray your will being done in heaven right now would be done on earth. That's God's plan. And now Jesus wants to bring his will on earth today. And you know how he does it? Through us. You become a brother Bill in somebody's life. You become the voice of life to someone. You look people and you say, God, who am I looking at? Who is this person? And you know what? Jesus will show you. And then you'll become a voice of life to them. And you may have to do what Brother Bill did to me. You may have to become a friend to a redneck, selfish, mean, whatever I was. And he became my friend. He should have been embarrassed to be seen with me. It's what he should have been. But he saw something. You know what we're looking for at Cabot Fest, at your neighbors, what Daniel invited you to do? You're just looking for the good in people. And you know what? I know it. They're good because Jesus has already set them free. He's already paid for all the sin. And anyway, the bad things I did happened, but not because I was bad. It became because the darkness was controlling that part of my life. You see, are we a disease or do we have a disease? Jesus said, Lead us not into temptation. You know what the first temptation was? To do it my way. To do what Martha was doing. The first temptation was, I'm going to become like God by learning, by judging, by working, by doing. And the whole time God is like, listen, just be with me, guys. That's all he wanted from Adam and Eve. God wants you to be with him. And this, this morning, I believe that God wants to speak to you. We have some uh, teams that uh, are here. Don't you want to know what God thinks about you? I mean, it's like some people, we could, uh, if we put a sign up and said, uh, fortunes told, we'd probably have people showing up <laughs> at the Cabot Fest. I want to do that, uh, do a booth and say, come here and get your fortune. This is way better than a fortune. This is true. Jesus wants to accept the challenge. Why don't you let him tell you this morning what he sees in you? He will. And if you're just curious, maybe you do know how he sees you. Maybe you just want to hear more. We accept the challenge. So I've got some ministry teams. Let's all stand up. I have some people that uh, are going to do this. let's ask the Lord do you need to hear from him this morning he accepts the challenge so Jesus uh, I just thank you for being with us today 
Thank you for the Lord's prayer that you gave us a pattern of how to live life well. How to be who we really are. And God asked that, that it would get exposed this morning. Everything we believe about our lives, ourselves, that's not true. So Holy Spirit, I just ask you to come now. If you're thinking he doesn't care about me, that he doesn't have anything for me, if you're, if you're doubting, if you're skeptical, I believe that's a sign that he is talking to you. He wants to show you who you are. And you don't have to do anything. He's done it all. So Jesus really is. He's calling you home. So Jesus, I just thank you that you, you're inviting us into family. And God, I ask at Cabot Fest that we'd be sensitive Saturday and we'd be sensitive and hear your voice and we'd begin to see others the way you see them. But first, God, I think we've got to see who we are. So if you need a word from the Lord this morning, these guys are up here. They want to pray with you. And uh, we believe, right? I believe God's going to show up. So uh, remember, next Sunday, we'll be here at 4 p.m. It's going to be good. We're going to have amazing food and fun and just be hang out and be family. Amen. So thank you guys for being here. God bless you guys. Bye-bye.